Hi, everyone. My name is Jonathan Fries, and you are listening to a special season of What the Flock. We have spent five seasons covering the topics that have caused so much damage, people don't come to church anymore. This season, our goal is to repair the Bible's reputation by taking specific Bible verses that have been abused due to man-made tradition and help you understand the ultimate answer for these verses. I'm joined by my co-host, Joel Swakowski. How you doing, Joel? I'm well. How are you, Jonathan? Excellent. 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 This has been an amazing season. And if you haven't listened to seasons one through five, we encourage you to do so because everything we're going to discuss during this season is built on the foundation of the previous five seasons. So at the very least, we highly recommend listening to the episodes that are referenced during this episode. Yes. And what we've seen through the 75 episodes that made up seasons one through five is that every issue has two perspectives. These two perspectives distract people from the ultimate answer. We call those the strict and the loose perspective. So just a quick overview of what the strict and loose perspectives are. The strict side initiates conflicts with God's word by saying that they know the correct interpretation for sure. Yet when contradictions are exposed in what their perspective is, they rationalize the reliance on man-made tradition that has taken the place of God's word. So we've seen the biggest example is you're a sinner and that although you can't earn your salvation by works, you better do works to prove your salvation. Mm-hmm. We've seen or can categorize this perspective as a contradiction rationalizer. And then the loose side, this perspective avoids conflict with God's word by saying we can't know anything for sure because there is no answer given or it's beyond our understanding, it's a paradox or too complex for our human minds to comprehend. Their contradiction is that they still want to say that they know for sure that you are wrong. And we can categorize these people on this side as contradiction enablers. Thank you, Joel. Let's jump into the verse. What are we covering today? We got a whopper one. I'm going to cover six verses. Second Kings chapter 20 verses one through six. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith Jehovah, Set thy house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then he turned his face to the wall and prayed unto Jehovah, saying, Remember now, O Jehovah, I beseech thee, How I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. And it came to pass before Isaiah was gone out into the middle part of the city that the word of Jehovah came to him saying, turn back and say to Hezekiah, the prince of my people, thus saith Jehovah, the God of David, thy father. I have heard thy prayer. I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will heal thee. 
On the third day thou shalt go up unto the house of Jehovah, and I will add unto thy days fifteen years, and I will deliver thee and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. Thank you, Joel. In order to look at how this verse, these verses, have damaged the reputation of the Bible, or in other words, how man has taken away from what God intended with this verse, we have recorded messages from two of our favorite callers from the first five seasons. First, the strict explanation is given by Apostle Tater from McMullen, Alabama. Let's hear what Apostle Tater has to say. Well, of course, God knew ahead of time that Hezekiah would pray to be healed, obviously. Plus, Hezekiah's sickness was a punishment. God was testing Hezekiah. Hey, Joel, how would you respond to what Apostle Tater shared? Well, I see these people need to understand how prayer works and that God doesn't violate the free will of man. So I would want them to listen to the prayer episode, season four, episode 15, and the God's Nature series starting season two, episode one. Nice. Well, next, the loose perspective is given by Pastor Rich from McMullen, Alabama. Let's hear what Pastor Rich has to say. Yeah, y'all know this is just one of them situations we aren't meant to understand. What we do know was that God loved Hezekiah so much and always wanted him to live through this sickness. Joel, how would you respond to that scenario? Well, this person needs to learn the difference between love and enabling. And also that faith is built on understanding and experience. So we're supposed to build our faith in God by understanding God and how he works. So I could have them listen to the love episode, season one, episode 15, and the faith episode, season two, episode 11. Excellent. So now I want to kind of summarize the damage, kind of see where we're at here. So the strict side doesn't understand prayer and God's will, those two concepts, those two episodes they can listen to. And the loose side doesn't understand love versus enabling. So what steps should we take to get the correct interpretation? Well, before I get into the steps, could you remind us of where we're at with the ditty? I can, and I will. Thank you. So we have, at this point, we have three parts. Yeah. So do you want me to sing it? I would love to hear you sing it. What does the Bible say? Did the English translation get in the way? Why don't you look at the context? And that's where we're at. Nice. Okay. So we'll take that. Number one, first part, what does the Bible say? That is yeah. step one. Yeah. So we use the same five-step process for every passage of this season. And uh, we've seen the amount of work we are able to do with just three steps so far. But step one, what does the Bible actually say? These six verses are actually in the Bible. And the different versions of the Bible 
mostly are consistent. So what we can do, instead of me reading all six of those verses again, we will skip to step two and uh, we'll, we'll end up getting into these verses as we, as we move forward. But yes, these verses are in the Bible. Here's what it sounds like if Pastor Joel were to be reading these verses in super fast forward. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you, Pastor Joel. Yeah. <laughs> what, a, what a very fast read. I am I'm a pretty quick reader. So step number two is we're, we're asking, did the English translation get in the way? Or what does the original language say? So there's a couple words I want to cover quick just to get some confirmation and a little bit deeper understanding. So Hezekiah has said that he is sick unto death, that he shall die and not live. The words death and die means, it does literally mean death. So great translation, original language and the English language are consistent there. I love, by the way, just a little commentary here. I do love how God says, you shall die and not live. Right. <laughs> I think that is spectacular. It is. It's so good because we've seen God proves truth contrastively. Mm. So that is an example of God proving this point out contrastively. Just so that you all don't misunderstand what I mean by death, I'll also say and not live. That's so good. Not that, that, not that there's going to be any issues in interpreting this verse going forward. Right. <laughs> not that God might have seen spiritual causes in place that if he were to have said things, it's like, oh man, God he always up, knows. He? he always knows what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> so similarly, I'm going to define another word that's a, a pretty common word, the word add, where he says, and I will add unto thy days 15 years. This also from a Hebrew word means add or increase or longer. So again, the, the research into the original language shows us that the English translation is consistent with the original language and that these words do in fact mean what we would commonly think they mean. So why don't you look at the context? Step three, what's yep. the context? We bring in the verses before or after. Well, with this, the context of these verses is the ones I've already read. Because I read so many verses in the onset of this episode, we're going to just take step three to dig into the context of really the main verse we're dealing with that's been damaged is what does this mean that Jehovah said, set thy house in order for thou shalt die and not live. That's really the verse that has been damaged out of these six. So we'll break down that verse and then the following five verses to get a clearer picture of what's going on here. So back to 2 Kings chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. We see verse 1. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came unto him and said unto him, Thus saith Jehovah, Set thy house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. So Hezekiah is going to die that day or very soon. Isaiah told him that God said he would die and not live. 
God did not say Hezekiah maybe would die. Mm-hmm. So this sickness would end in death soon enough that Hezekiah needed to put his house in order. This sickness would end in death soon enough that God spoke through a prophet <laughs> to let Hezekiah know this. Mm. Urgent, yes. Yeah. Now, here's something to consider in order to build your interpretation skills. Do you think God believes Hezekiah's death is a, quote, good thing? Why or why not? Is there anything in the text that says either way? That's something you can keep in mind as we keep going through these verses. Yeah, cool. Good questions. Cool. So then back to verses two and three. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed unto Jehovah, saying, Remember now, O Jehovah, I beseech thee, how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. So we see Hezekiah's prayer. He asked God to remember how Hezekiah had lived. This prayer was done in response to Isaiah's pronouncement of death. So we know Hezekiah wanted to live. Now we've covered how prayer and God's will can work either together or in opposition of one another. Hmm. So is Hezekiah praying in opposition to God's will? We'll see. Verse 4, and it came to pass, before Isaiah was gone out into the middle part of the city, that the word of Jehovah came to him, saying, I'm going to pause there before we get into what Jehovah said. Isaiah is leaving. He's delivered his word. God stops him and gives him another word. Something happened to change the outcome. The only thing we know that happened between Isaiah delivering the word from God and verse 4, Isaiah getting another word from God is Hezekiah's prayer. So we know Hezekiah's prayer changed something. Verses 5 and 6. Now we hear the words of Jehovah to Isaiah through Isaiah the second time. Turn back and say to Hezekiah, the prince of my people, thus saith Jehovah, the God of David, thy father. I have heard thy prayer. I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will heal thee. On the third day thou shalt go up unto the house of Jehovah. And I will add unto thy days 15 years. And I will deliver thee and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. So God confirms that this second word through Isaiah was in response to Hezekiah's prayer through justice. And God said he would heal Hezekiah and add 15 years to his life. The result, Hezekiah actually did live 15 more years. So this proved two points. Point number one, Hezekiah was righteous. Little are righteous, reward righteous, spiritual value righteous. Yep. 
The sickness was not a judgment from God that Hezekiah wanted to be released from. Hezekiah's referencing of justice in this prayer was him having walked before God in truth and with a perfect heart and had done good before Jehovah. Right. If this prayer was a judgment against Hezekiah, the referencing of having walked before God in truth and with a perfect heart would have contradicted that. In point number two, Hezekiah was going to die very soon after the original word was given in verse one. God wasn't speaking of the final death that Hezekiah would eventually experience as all men do. God was specifically speaking of Hezekiah dying very soon. So now we get into the the crux of why this verse has caused damage and has done its part in ruining the reputation of the Bible. To say that God had always planned on healing Hezekiah and had planned on always adding 15 years to his life is calling God a liar. Again, in verse one, God said, thou shalt die and not live. Then God said he would add 15 years to his life, and Hezekiah did live 15 more years. So either Hezekiah was going to die because God had to add 15 years to avoid him dying, or God did not add 15 years, meaning God lied. And Hezekiah was always going to live 15 more years. So this seemingly simple story has a lot of complexity as it relates to God's, quote, omniscience, to spiritual value, to prayer, to God's will. And this is why most most religious leaders will not discuss this Bible passage, especially not at any depth. And it's primarily because they do don't know how to resolve the contradiction without calling God a liar. So we have a pretty good grasp over the over this verse, over this group of verses. But I think in order to really flush this out and get some confirmation on this interpretation, I think we finally need to get to step four. So just a reminder, step one was checking what does the Bible actually say? Step two was confirming or looking or doing the research into what does the original language say. And step three was what's the context in and around the specific verse that we're covering. Step four is what scriptures do we need to reference from outside the context of this passage? Nice. So for instance, what scriptures maybe maybe even from so far outside of the context of this passage they're in completely different books of the bible that bring clarity to whatever it is we're studying so in this case what scriptures do we need to reference from outside the context of this passage if you look at the book of isaiah chapter 38 this story is documented from Isaiah's perspective. So if you've doubt the explanation we've given so far, 
Isaiah chapter 38 can help bring some clarity to that. In that chapter, not only does it document the story, it also documented a song that Hezekiah wrote that gave further proof that God added. That word added is really important. Added. It implies there's an additional 15 years, right? Yep. More than what was intended to Hezekiah's life. So here's just a few highlights from Isaiah chapter 38, from Isaiah, from Hezekiah's perspective. Verse 10, I said, in the prime of my life, I shall go to the gates of Sheol. I am deprived of the remainder of my years. And then verses 16 through 17, O Lord, by these things men live, and in all these things is the life of my spirit. So you will restore me and make me live. Indeed, it was for my own peace that I had great bitterness, but you have lovingly delivered my soul from the pit of corruption, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. So just here's just an example of more confirmation that we see God delivered Hezekiah from the death coming towards him. Now I'm going to go and we're going to we're going to go to another part of step 4 again referencing scriptures from outside the context of the verses we covered. We're going to go to 2 Kings 21. So earlier I stated something to consider in order to build your interpretation skills. Do you think God believes Hezekiah's death is a good thing? Why or why not? Is there anything in the text that says either way? So in 2 Kings 21, another group of scriptures from outside the context of the passage we directly covered today, we see this. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. Now, before I get into that a little bit more, go back to the last verse of 2 Kings 20. And it says this, And Hezekiah slept with his fathers, and Manasseh, his son, reigned in his stead. So Manasseh is Hezekiah's son. And then we start 2 Kings 21. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned five and 50 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Hephzibah. So Manasseh is 12 years old when he began to reign over Judah. Manasseh, again, Hezekiah's son. Huge point. Mm -hmm. Manasseh would not have been born if God had not healed and added 15 years to Hezekiah's life. This is a key piece of information for, up, for understanding the upcoming events. It was never God's plan for Hezekiah to live long enough for Manasseh to be born. Manasseh being born was Hezekiah's decision and Hezekiah's responsibility. In fact, it looked as if God was trying to prevent Manasseh from being born by having Hezekiah's illness end in death. So let's look at verses 2 and 3. Again, we're in 2 Kings 21 now. And he, Manasseh, did that which was evil in the sight of Jehovah. After the abominations of the nations from Jehovah cast out before the children of Israel, for he built again the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed, 
and he reared up altars for Baal and made an Asherah, as did Ahab, king of Israel, and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. So Manasseh did evil. Rebuilt the high places Hezekiah tore down, which also, again, brings in this clarity that Hezekiah did do righteousness. Totally. Yeah. But more on the iniquity of Manasseh, verses five and four and five say he built altars in the house of Jehovah, whereof Jehovah said, In Jerusalem will I put my name. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven and the two courts of the house of Jehovah. So he's turning the temple of God into a pagan temple. Verses six through nine. He made his son to pass through the fire and observe times, used enchantments, dealt with them that had familiar spirits and with wizards. He wrought much evil in the sight of Jehovah to provoke him to anger. And he set the graven image of Ashura that he had made in the house of which Jehovah said to David and to Solomon, his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, will I put my name forever. Neither will I cause the feet of Israel to wander anymore out of the land, which I have gave their fathers, if only they will observe to do according to all that I have commanded them and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them, but they hearkened not. And Manasseh seduced them to do that which was evil more than did the nations whom Jehovah destroyed before the children of Israel. Whoa. Super, super evil king who also seduced the people of Israel to do evil as well. More, more evil than the nations God had destroyed. So Manasseh, I mean, Ahab was referred to earlier. Manasseh may have been even more evil than Ahab. And then verses 10 through 14, it just keeps getting worse. And Jehovah spake by his servant, servants, the prophets, saying, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations and has done wickedly above all that the Amorites did that were before him and has made Judah also to sin with his idols, Therefore, thus saith Jehovah, the God of Israel, behold, I bring such evil upon Jerusalem and Judah that whoever hears of it, both his ears shall tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem, the line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab. And I will wipe Jerusalem as a, a man wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. And I will cast off the remnant, remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies, and they shall become a prey and a spoil to all their enemies. So Manasseh was the cause of this evil brought upon the people. There is a name for this evil brought upon the people. We call it the captivity. And to bring in one more verse from outside of the context of the passages we use to understand Hezekiah, Jeremiah 15.4 says this, And I will cause them to be tossed to and fro among all the kingdoms of the earth because of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, for that which he did in Jerusalem. This verse in the book of Jeremiah states that the captivity of the Israelite people would happen because of Manasseh and the things he did in Jerusalem. So that brings in this question, 
was it God's will for Hezekiah to die? Or was it God's will for Hezekiah to live an additional 15 years? I'll answer that in a moment, but I just wanted to remind everybody again, we finally made it to step four. Also, a reminder that really what we're doing with these steps is slowly bringing us through exposing and removing any contradictions that man has introduced into the Bible. We want to be contradiction removers, not contradiction rationalizers or contradiction enablers. So with step number four now added to our toolbox, Jonathan, would you be able to bring us through the ditty again with the fourth verse? What does the Bible say? Did the English translation get in the way? Why don't you look at the context? Find other scriptures you need. There we go. And, and, and something and, else. Find other scriptures you need. Yep, there we go. Oh, all right. I, I'm starting to feel like this is going to have a nice... A nice landing on it eventually, huh? We are. We're getting towards it. We're getting towards a landing. So we got four. We got four steps, bringing four steps. in these outside oh. scriptures. Yeah. On the other scriptures you need outside the context. That's awesome. Yeah, and you know we could argue a lot of the Manasseh stuff was kind of in the same context. It was the the chapter immediately preceding the Hezekiah chapter, but that Jeremiah verse brings confirmation oh, yeah. that. Manasseh was the cause of the captivity of the Israelite people in Judah during that time. Yeah, that's really important. That brings this confirmation of, you know, essentially why, why we can be settled that, you know, what God had said, you shall die and not live, was what God had intended to happen. But also the Isaiah, you know, clearly the book of Isaiah is outside the context of second Kings. So it was great having another version of the story through the eyes of Isaiah and with this song that was written in response to the prayer being answered. So incredible. Yeah. Now we are at the time where we get to hear the ultimate answer. What is the ultimate answer, Joel? All right. The ultimate answer. The only, the only explanation that was non-contradictory with the rest of God's word was that Hezekiah's prayer and his righteousness, his righteousness, that reward, the spiritual value he had, caused God to move and heal Hezekiah. And that God did not know everything that would happen ahead of time. So remember, omniscient, according to the Bible, we did an entire episode on the omnis, the non-contradictory explanation of omniscient meant that God knew all the causes that existed and their effects. God did not know the causes that did not yet exist. At the beginning of this story, the causes that existed were that Hezekiah would die. Hezekiah's prayer provided a new cause. Explaining how God's pronouncement of Hezekiah's death was correct at the time God made it, but had changed once the new cause was introduced. That blows my mind. That simplifies this so much. Mm -hmm. 
So again, I'd encourage you to also listen to the Omnis episode, season two, episode two, and even the God's Will part five episode, the prophecy episode. In fact, in the prophecy episode, season five, episode 15, we do refer to this story of Hezekiah to explain how prophecy works. But a prophet can only state the effects that will occur according to the causes that exist. We saw this with the, in, in the Jonah story as well. Jonah pronounces in 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. Nineveh is not destroyed. Why? Because the causes of what would have been their destruction changed. They repented. Mm -hmm. Right. And we saw Jesus called Jonah and Isaiah prophets. Yet we've seen both prophesy something that didn't happen. Right. So we do do we really understand the role of a prophet? What prophecies meant for? So there is a bigger revelation, though, in this story with Hezekiah. God was trying to love Hezekiah by having him die. It wow. would have been good for Hezekiah to die. He would eventually have been saved and he would have had reward. Instead, he chose to spend his reward to live 15 more years. So why didn't God want Hezekiah to live longer? Well, we saw that God was trying to put off Hezekiah having a son and not being around long enough to raise him right. Remember, he was 12 when he started to, to reign, which likely led to his son leading Israel in a fashion that a 12-year-old would. Hmm ultimately leading the people into captivity because of the abominations that he did himself and that he seduced the people into doing as well. And also the story proved it was possible to pray against God's will and have God answer a prayer that was against his will. The key, the person praying needed to have enough spiritual value. Although the Bible may have conflicts in what is stated, we see that time and time again, which is one of the reasons we even needed to do season six. The Bible, though, does not have contradictions in the why or in the doctrine, which is what has helped us get to the ultimate answer with every episode this season. Thank you, Joel. This has been What the Flock. If you'd like a deeper study of this verse and how to deal with people who believe the man-made traditional perspectives that we shared in this episode, listen to the Music of Life Church podcast companion episode. Thanks for listening, everyone. And remember, if you've been hurt by church, you're not alone. We're here for you.